we are going to open up the Bible and read a few verses and see what God wants to speak to us about. So we have been doing a series on Titus, on the book in Titus, and there are The book of Titus is a a letter that is written by Paul uh, to an early church leader called Titus. And we're on chapter 3 this morning. And basically, Titus was left on the island of Crete to organize and lead the church there. And Paul, in this book, is giving direction how, how to go about it. So what to say to these people, how to encourage them, how to lead them. So we're going to be reading Titus 3, uh, 1 to 8. We'll just dive straight into uh, the reading this morning, and it should come up on the screen, hopefully as well at some point, working on it, all good. Why don't we pray, and then we'll close our eyes and open it up, and it'll be on the screen. No pressure, guys. Okay. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this space. Thank you for your words. Thank you uh, for worship, that we're able to sing songs and, and remind ourselves of your goodness. We pray you'll continue to work in our hearts, Lord, this morning. Continue to shape us. And, and I pray that you'll use us, Lord, as we leave here, that we'll, we'll leave here more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's continue putting no, I'm joking. <laughs> Let's read. It'll come up in a second. And these Bibles is in page... 901, if you got one of the church Bibles. So we're reading 1 to 8. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Amen. So uh, we see in chapter three how we are to deal with the world in a bit more detail. Outside these walls is where or outside the walls of the church that Titus is speaking to, that's where the rubber hits the road. And we should live in a particular way that is different, that is light. That's how he's instructing the church. And in a sense, we can draw the same as we gather here this morning to be more like Jesus. I want to ask just a very short question. Can we say we are living with Jesus in mind? Can we say our lives reflect Jesus? We're never going to reach how Jesus lived, but we look to him. And it made me think, uh, growing up, who did I look up to? So as I was preparing this talk, I gave my mum a little ring, and I said, when I was younger, mum, who did I want to be like? Uh, The answer was a bit weird, but (laughs) she said, who did he want to be like? And she said, the Foo Fighters. (laughs) 
Now, the Foo Fighters are a, an American uh, rock band, and I did go through a season of baggy jeans, and I grew my hair, and had a really awkward mullet. I can show you a photo during the tea and coffee. I had an electric guitar, a new three chords. You know, I used to just put it up, put the distortion really loud on the amp and pretend I was rocking out to Foo Fighter songs. I tried to grow a beard, which at 35, I'm still trying to grow a beard. Uh, I was quite moody and angsty and I wouldn't speak to many people. And some people would say I still a bit like that as well. But uh, <laughs> who, who did I want to be like? Paul in this passage he lists practical reminders that I want us to look at. I want us to look at, just draw a couple out this morning. If we truly love Jesus and are in relationship with him, we should be more like him just as the churches were being directed here. And it's challenging, it's, it's good stuff. And we'll all de- identify as we unpack it things that actually, Lord, you're stirring this in me or I need to respond, I need to stop, I need to allow So it's not to to guilt trip us or to make us feel bad. He loves us just as we are this morning, but he doesn't want to leave us the same. So, you know, if we're leaving the same, if living for Jesus has become boring, we're missing the mark somewhere. So can I urge us to use this space to ask what, what, what needs to change in our posture, perhaps, in our openness to God? Are we willing? Now, if you were to ask Mary and uh, other members of our family, they would say I'm the most forgetful person they know, uh, and I am. I locked myself out of uh, my house about three times when we were in Aberdeen. Uh, I tried the old credit card trick, you know, yeah, I've seen it on YouTube once, so I got my cre- like credit cards out and tried and opened it, didn't work, so 80 pounds later, I think the locksmith came along. I've also forgotten anniversaries. I've forgotten, I forget where I parked the car almost weekly. Uh, and end up trying to get into another Citroen Picasso, and the, the owner's sometimes in the car, and no, he's not. <laughs> but uh, I'm always forgetting things. I forget my wallet, I forget my phone, forget to pick up milk before small group. So when small group arrive, I'm often away dashing to get cakes and milk. Not so bad now. Uh, people actually come with milk now. <laughs> come with their own personal milk. Forget to put my phone on silent sometimes. And when I uh, was at church when I was younger, we used to have, between my friends, we'd play a game where we'd check if our phones were on silent during the real quietest point at church. So we'd phone each other. And then, you know, that panic when your phone rings. Instantly you're sweating and shaking and, where's my phone? Yeah, we were those people who would try and wind each other up with that. Forgetfulness is a strong character trait of mine, but I'm a, a lot better now. It's important when we get stuck into this word, the very first words that Paul says is remind your people. It's a constant throughout Paul's ministry and also prominent leaders in the Bible, Peter, John, even Jesus, they are all in the reminding ministry. Why? Because we forget. Paul in Philippians 3, 1, I never get tired of telling you. 2 Peter 2, verse 12, I plan to keep reminding you of these things. Jesus constantly with his disciples, sharing vision. These guys are reminding, reminding, reminding. We all need reminded. That's why we come here. Perhaps some of us need uh, need reminded why we come here. Remember who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he promises to do for us. So we're going to have a look at some of what Paul is writing. The first thing I want to look at is watch the words. Watch the words. Paul instructs Titus to remind the people to slander no one. Don't speak ill. And it alerts us to our words. 
how we speak. It was an issue in the early church, and it is now. A, a Telegraph newspaper study shows that men spend 76 minutes a day gossiping, and women, 52 minutes. <laughs> it's like a game show. There's a, Woo! What's next, Thomas? Throw us another stat. That was really weird. Ooh, I've never heard you that loud before. Maybe I'll say it again. 24 minutes more gossiping. The favorite topics are antics of drunken friends, old school friends, friends weight gain, the in-laws, spreading rumors, salaries, the boss, people's relationships. If Paul is saying slander no one, um, unpacks one or two important points. And it's also an opportunity to direct our words for life and to use it for sharing the good news of Jesus. So we have to constantly remember the, the power that our words carry. If we spend one-fifth of our life talking, and if all our words were put into print, a single day's words would fill a 50-page book. A year would fill 132 books of 200 pages. I wonder how many of our words are positive, life-giving, and how many of our words are not so much. I wonder if we went into Waterstones and it was branded with our name, what section we would be going to to read our words. Would it be under horror? <laughs> would it be fiction? Would it be fantasy? If we want to be more like Jesus, our speech plays such an important part. The book of James is a great read in terms of the power of the tongue uh, to remind us or to speak to us the first time, perhaps, of the words that, that we carry. In James 3 verse 5, it says this, A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. Wow. And Jesus himself speaks about giving an account for the words that we speak as well. In Matthew 12, 36. And on gossip as well, in Proverbs 16, verse 28, it spreads conflict, it separates friends. Proverbs 20, 19, avoid someone with a big mouth. Always, also as well, the power of the tongue to bring death and life in Proverbs 18, 21. So we need to remember the consequences of our words. The gossip, the little comment, the extra word, where that could go, the effects that that could have on others where it could land us. What could seem like a, an innocent throwaway comment could actually cause turmoil. I, I was reading a, an interview a couple of years ago about the demise of Big Brother. So Big Brother was this massive reality TV show. I'm sure we all are aware of it. A worldwide phenomenon in the early 2000s. And it's kind of petered out a bit in the UK, certainly. But there was an interview with one of the contestants. And this is what they said. I wish I had a 10-second freeze to filter out what I should and shouldn't have said. Things, that, things would have been so much different. Things would have been so much different. I wonder how many of us here this morning struggle with that. 
We would love to pray with you. We offer a space every week uh, to respond and to, to ask God in uh, to whatever situation it is that we're facing. And perhaps it's a self-aware moment where we go, actually, that is me. And actually, God, I need your help. We'd love to pray. So we watch the words. Also, we're to gossip the gospel. We're to think of the potential that our words carry. That verse in Proverbs speaks about words carrying life. Words carrying life. Uh, I was watching an interview. I can't remember. Adam Kay, I think the name is. He's, he's had a read, wrote a bestseller on the NHS. He was six years as a junior doctor. I don't know if anyone's read the book. It was number one in the Amazon uh, charts for, I think, over a year. But there was a, sh- a short interview on the television last night with him. And he spoke, he spoke a little bit about the book and uh, some funny stuff. But at the end, he spoke about how in his six years, actually what we need to do this Christmas is encourage NHS staff and the power of encouragement. And he spoke about half a dozen times where he got a handwritten card and he's kept those cards. And those cards not, not necessarily encouraged them just for that day, but actually they encouraged them for a season or even months. And he's kept them. Just picturing that, you know, and he said he only had half a dozen in six years, but still they were really precious. The power of our words, the power of encouragement. Pete, you're such a joy giver. Any room that you enter into, joy comes. You carry that. I just want to encourage you with that. Zach, I love your heart. I love how God stirs the prophetic in you, and you're eager to share what God's put in your heart. George, I love how you come to help at every opportunity. Whenever there's an opportunity to help, you're right in there. You respond. Stephen, I love how you fix things. <laughs> I love how you've got a heart for fixing things, but practically just stepping into the gap for people and going, I can help with that. I'm going to respond with that. Eleanor, I love your heart for young people. I love how you meet with them outside these walls and you share your heart and experiences to build for their futures. See, guys, the power of encouragement. Not that we just think these things and keep them in here, but we speak them out. We speak them out. What an opportunity. Not just in here. If we can crack that in here, imagine what we can do in Inverness, in the city, with our colleagues next to us, with the people walking down the street, in shops, in queues. How can we encourage? How can we bring words of life? And I've lost my place, so I'm going to take a wee second. Words can have incredible power. If we look at the definition of gossip, it's casual, unconstrained, holding nothing back. Imagine we've done that with the good stuff. We can gossip the goodness of God, the gospel, but just encourage people and call out the gold as well. And stories are a key part of that as well. Three, three types of stories. We can speak about God and his greatness. Where has God miraculously came through? We can speak about God and his grace, stories of uh, when Jesus has just swept away and brought freedom in our lives, a particular area that uh, we've been chained to. Or we can speak stories of ju- that just get us greeting, I've said, free G's. Story of God's greatness, story of God's grace, and stories that just make us greet. <laughs> stories that when we recall them, they just bring tears to our eyes, what Jesus has done in our lives. This is gossiping the gospel. Sharing stories, testimonies, real life, real people, real Jesus breaking in. Not to be kept hidden, but over a coffee, over the garden fence, the school gate, the bus. 
when we're in His presence, we're filled and these opportunities present themselves. I remember once we were at a youth festival uh, for the week camping and we're absolutely shattered at the end of it, but just had a great time just learning more about God and exploring uh, our faith. And we're driving home and our car broke down. And you know at the end of like a really, if you've met God and you, you're feeling really stirred, you're on fire, aren't you? You can take on the world. And I was like, yes. And our car broke down, our little Renault Clio uh, broke down and the recovery man came. And there was another boy in the car with us that we were dropping off and he was on fire. He was like high as a kite. He's like, let's pray for the guy. Let's pray for the recovery guy. And me and Mary are like, we're both shattered. Okay, let's pray. But we're stirred and he's like, oh, I really feel that I should tell him that his dad loves him. And we're like, okay, okay, that's cool. We'll do that. And then, the re- so the recovery van hadn't arrived yet. The recovery van arrives and the registration plate was something, there was a part of it that was like D-A-0. And I was like, oh, it spells dad. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. So then we thought, how are you going to get into the car with him? How are you going to get an opportunity to share this? So uh, he's like, I'll pray, I'll pray, I'll pray. Lord, we pray we get an opportunity. And then honestly, at that point, the guy came over and he said, like, once he checked the car out, he said, we're going to need one of you in the car with me and two of you staying there. And we just looked at him and went, okay. And he's like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so he runs into the car and he shares. And uh, at the end, we get the car back and we're like, uh, what happened? And he's like, oh, I didn't really say much. <laughs> I told him and he was about, all right, okay. But he was just faithful what God had given him. And then we went to, uh, we got home and we went round. We used to live near Morrison's and we went for like an all-day breakfast because we're shattered. What can cure us more than uh, just a big greasy plate of breakfast food? Went along to Morrison's and then there was a lady, I'm trying to remember the story. What was it? She was reading her horoscope. No, she came over. She couldn't read her horoscopes. So we were having our breakfast and this lady comes over. She goes, excuse me, dear, and puts a horoscopes thing in front of Mary. Can you read out my horoscope? And Mary's like, you don't want to read that. Get rid of that and put out a daily bread. You want to read this? I just went through the devotional book that Mary reads through. Take this away. God knows you. God loves you. Don't be reading that. What does it look like for us? I was meeting uh, someone for lunch this week, and their first question was, what has Jesus been doing and saying to you this last three months? What a great question to start off with. Not like, look at, look at the weather or seen anything good on it. What's Jesus been saying and doing this last three months? I want to speak about those kind of things. We have two little boys, Joshua and Struan, and they are understandably one of, the, the, cent, one of the most central focuses of our lives. Our lives are consumed by them. When we go out for a date night, which is very rare, we'll end up speaking about them when we're eating dinner constantly. My Instagram is just full of their lives and their little faces. I am one of those people. Why am I one of those people? Because I love them with all of my heart. Jesus asked the same, to love with all our hearts. I'm challenged to be that bold and unashamed of my faith, that our lives are consumed and affect those around us. To watch our words. We have to pursue peace. Paul continues in verse 2, we are to be peaceable and considerate and always gentle to one another. Now, in translating this verse from the original Greek, there's two words, epikes and protes. Protes is translated as humility, which we'll look at a wee bit later, but epikes is translated showing clemency, gentleness, graciousness, and especially to be conciliatory. 
So I want to focus just a wee bit on that for a little while. We're to pursue peace. We're to be a people of peace. And this means a few things. This means we carry peace into volatile situations. We're to carry peace into situations that potentially could kick off. When we have situations that are tense at work or at home, we don't bring unnecessary tension or quarreling or fuel fires. We don't live off the thrill of confrontation, but we assess our motives and look to bring peace. Myself as a teenager, I used to love, this is the kind of schema within me as a teenager, which wasn't great. I used to love just going and dropping little bombs, little comments to my sister that would make her explode. Part of being a teenager, I think. But maybe there's some of us like that right now. We, we live for the thrill of that. We're to look for peace, communicating and acting in a peaceable way when we have difficult decisions to make or we have to confront people. And Jesus backs this up and demonstrates it again and again and again where religious leaders and Pharisees were, were goading him, trying to push buttons. No, I carry peace. Like that workmate, perhaps, that tries to get under your skin, make you react, or family who test your patience, friends who take it too far. Jesus had this throughout his ministry, he brought a peace that could only come from the Father. Why don't we ask for that this morning? More of his peace to carry into our weeks, to soften our hearts when actually our first reaction is to lash out. We've also to look at our broken relationships. In Matthew five forty-seven, Jesus says, If you salute or greet only your brethren, what more are you doing than others? And what Jesus is saying here is that Greek word we looked at, epikes, is rooted in conciliatory, means that we're to look to repair relationships that are broken. And I understand, I don't throw that line out lightly. I understand that for some of us, that is a big journey ahead. And the timing might not quite be there yet. John Piper says this, peacemaking around peacemaking, tries to show what may be the only courtesy the enemy will tolerate, a greeting. The peacemaker looks the enemy right in the eye and says good morning and says it with a longing for peace in his heart, not with a phony gloss of politeness to cover anger. I've been watching uh, some videos on uh, the Bible Project. If any of you have not heard of the Bible Project, please go and YouTube it. It's a couple of guys from America, and they've journeyed through every book of the Bible, but they've made really cool illustrations uh, explaining the book of the Bible, and they've done YouTube videos as well, little short clips, and they've done uh, some clips for Advent over the four weeks of Advent, looking at peace, hope, love, and joy. And uh, I had a wee watch of the one with peace, and I just want to read out uh, some of the things that it said. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is irene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps or no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness and wholeness. It's like Job, who says his tents are in a state of shalom, 
because he counted his flock and no animals were missing. It's why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. It's when, like when David visited his brothers in the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is f- complex, full of moving parts of relationships and situations. And when any of these are out of alignment or any of them are missing, our shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole and it needs to be restored. I just had a moment after watching that going, isn't that a powerful, just such a, a powerful picture with the wall? To be a person of peace, what needs to be restored and rebuilt in us this morning? What is out of alignment perhaps that, that triggers anger or feelings that, that aren't great? Reconciling and restoration is vital. What Jesus himself did was the ultimate reconciliation, a separation between us and God, that Jesus built a bridge, the cross, to get across to us. He sacrificed himself to bring peace, to bring hope, to bring love, to bring shalom. So we need to remember the peace that Jesus longs for, to be peaceable, And I appreciate actually that when it's really tough to bring peace, that we ask God to help us to carry it, to wear it, that we have Jesus alongside us and in us. And then finally, we have to be humble. We have to be humble. The Greek word protes, translated in verse 2, speaks about humility. And this is key for Paul in guiding all these church leaders and speaking into their situations. And the tension between humility and pride is a difficult battle. We need to remember that pride is our greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. John Stott says that. Just a couple of uh, little illustrations on pride. Did you hear about the clever salesman who closed hundreds of lines uh, with hundreds of sales with this line? Let me show you something several of your neighbors said you couldn't afford. Former heavyweight boxer James Tillis is a cowboy from Oklahoma who fought out of Chicago in the early 1980s. He still remembers his first day in the Windy City after his arrival from Tulsa. I got off the bus with two cardboard suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago and stopped in front of the Sears Tower. I put my suitcases down and I looked up at the tower and I said to myself, I'm going to conquer Chicago. When I looked down, the suitcases were gone. (laughs) Pride is the dandelion of the soul. Its roots go deep. Only a little left behind sprouts again. Its seeds lodge in the tiniest encouraging cracks. And it flourishes in good soil. The danger of pride is that it feeds on goodness. From a biblical perspective on humility, it's being aware of our own unworthiness and our utter dependence on God. In John, it speaks of us decreasing and God increasing, surrender. And an example is given by Jesus in Luke chapter 18. I just want to read a couple of verses and then we're going to close. And we've got loads of time, which is amazing. Luke 18, 9-14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. 
one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Tax collector couldn't even look up to heaven. Humbled before a mighty God, beating his chest, realizing his weakness without God. I'm there. We realize with this journey of planting a church, it's tough. And we're, I'm there. I'm weak before God. It's not our doing this is happening. It's all because of Jesus. And that's the best place to be. Never let pride keep something broken that Jesus wants to fix. I don't know where each and every one of us are at, but I just want to ask, what's broken? What are we putting on? Everything is okay. Never let pride keep something broken that Jesus wants to fix. We admit when we need help. We keep accountable and directing our successes to God. It's Him in and through us. We remember daily our limitations without him. And we don't miss out. Why don't we stand?